Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Uh, Bud, I look forward to this podcast in particular because we're going to actually have a conversation that we've talked about having for two months or so, and this is kind of a good place in the calendar uh, to do it, and we've all kind of put together some information that's both, uh, uh, well, feel like we're going to be able to do what is hopefully a fair and kind of accurate portrayal of Florida State's current situation with its booster group, uh, explain some of the unique challenges they have, uh, maybe some things that they could do a little bit better, and hopefully we'll just be able to give people a educated conversation as to something that certainly has been in the uh, in the group uh, you know, the group chatter of the fan base for quite a while. And uh, it's something that is not always, I think, discussed with maybe the most clarity as to who they are or what exactly they try to do. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, we should probably start with thanking our sponsor, Louisiana Hot Sauce. They've been with us for quite a long time now, and uh, they are consistently an excellent product. If only the football team could be as consistently excellent as Louisiana Hot Sauce, uh, but you know. Football is not the hot sauce business, and there are ups and downs. And uh, one one up for this week, if we could get to some banter uh, before we dive into the booster discussion, uh, Derek Bermudez actually decided he was going to commit uh, about two hours after we recorded the, the last show. So uh, cornerback from Sandalwood High School there in Jacksonville, Florida State's had a number of players from Sandalwood, uh, also happens to be a teammate of one uh, Jeff Sims. So... Ingram, I don't know if you've looked at this, but uh, we discussed this last week. Um, there's a trend of really tall cornerbacks right now for Florida State on the recruiting trail, which is a, a stark difference to what they signed or compared to what they signed uh, in in some previous years. It does seem Florida State is valuing length in this class an awful lot. Uh, Bermudez is a little bit skinnier than some of the other corners they have in this class. He's probably a little bit quicker. I don't know that he necessarily totally fits that that field corner role. I'd like to see more of him, particularly at Florida State summer camp. Um, his ranking, by the way, jumped up. Uh, I, I think a couple hundred spots here, if, if I'm recalling correctly. Uh, once he committed, so clearly became a much better player uh, once he did uh, commit to Florida State. Um, had a number of good offers. He was unranked for a while. Again, like I said, rankings this time of year are just a complete mess. They're not something I really pay attention to outside of maybe like the top, you know, 50. I think that those are starting to solidify and uh, those kids won't move all that much. But the others, there's just so much uh, opportunity for liquidity. Um, Other offers included Auburn, Florida, Arkansas. Again, are some of these committable or some of these not? We'll see, you know, claims a Georgia offer. Would Georgia take him right now? Uh, I, I question that. Uh, would would like an LSU take him right now? Again, I I probably question that, but uh, I think there's a number of good good offers right there uh, that are with Florida State, and you know if they like the kid, I don't necessarily have a huge problem in taking him. Um, you could also argue that hey, is there a need to fill up your defensive back class right now? Uh, I totally see that argument as well. We, we talked about it in the last pod. Hey, do you want to wait and see? If you can get a really elite kid or, or maybe a, a smaller kid with, with some top-end speed to complement what you have in this class right now. But the, the, the other side of this is we're, we're thinking of it from a very like FSU perspective, right? Like, oh, my gosh, we're full. What, 
what happens if 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 one of the kids decommits, right? Like what what happens if if a Georgia or a Bama comes really hard after, after like Demory Tate or Isaiah Dunson or, or 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 one of those elite kids who you know has is open to taking visits? If they really start to push to flip those kids, then you could be down to you know to four four DB commits pretty quickly. So my guess is that the six kids they have committed right now at DB. Are, are not going to all stick, right? If I had to bet on it, or excuse me, not six, uh, five, excuse me, five, my bet is that, that all five will not stick. I, I think one will will probably be be not signing with Florida State in the end. So anyway, uh, that's just kind of my my thoughts on that. What, what You got anything on, uh, on Bermudez that you want to add? No, he's a he's a big DB. Uh, goes well in in line with the trend that we talked about uh, last time. I think he's a nice take. Gives you a little bit of uh, insurance. And you're right. There's we're very much early in the process, and there's going to be uh, programs aggressively pursuing some guys, and uh, some of them may may choose to uh, pay attention to some of that pursuit. And I, like you said, I, I don't think our current uh, commitment crop is necessarily going to be exactly reflective of those that choose to sign. Um, one other note on the recruiting trail, Bud, is that uh, Jeff Sims has also uh, seen his ranking tick up quite a bit. So, uh, what? N- not necessarily something we're going to follow every time people's <laughs> uh, rank changes ever so slightly, but there was such a response that. Uh, there was a concern that we were taking a three-star quarterback this early in the process that we thought it'd be appropriate to circle back to those of you who have uh, uh, star-based anxiety. I'll put it that way. Particularly star-based anxiety. Star-based like anxiety surrounding the quarterback position in particular. That's awesome. <laughs> star-based anxiety. Yeah, I, look, we told y'all Jeff Sims was pretty good. And, uh, um, well, it looks like we are we're right on this one. We don't get them all right, but uh, his ranking has – ticked up considerably and again it's silly season for ranking so i would just not pay attention to those too much that's just kind of a, we're patting ourselves on the back there uh florida state pretty much sucked in the nfl draft with the exception of brian burns congratulations uh to him and then demarcus christmas as well congratulations um i think the big takeaway here is that there has been a uh, a major development deficit which is Probably the thousandth time we've we've said this on this podcast in the last, I don't know, year or so. Uh, and it showed on the field last year, and it also showed in the draft. And I think we knew there was a, a developmental deficit. And I, honestly, we might have even underrated or underestimated just how much of one. And so this is going to be Willie Taggart's task here. If he's going to succeed at Florida State, he has to uh, recruit talent to come in. And he also has to develop what was already on the roster. And uh, we'll see how that goes in year two. We also have a, a bit of a longer examination of this coming, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll tease and we'll do probably later this week, I, w- I would think. Um, maybe give you all a little something for, for some weekend listening. But it's something I used to do in more of a written form. But I, I think it's kind of an interesting thing to do in an audio format. So a little a little tease there. If you're a Florida State fan and watching the draft solely as a Florida State fan, I certainly hope you enjoyed uh, the 16th overall pick on Thursday night. Because other than that, it was a it was a tough draft. I did get a really good chuckle though, uh, Bud, out of uh, 
you know, one one kind of humorous based uh, piece that we did about uh, you know whether it was going to be like a Syracuse defensive lineman or uh, or a Clemson defensive lineman or guys that would just need the highlight that they played during the draft and how frequently uh, it featured uh, last year's offensive line unit ever so gracefully adding to people's uh, you know twelve to fifteen second clip. Uh, that they played after their name was immediately announced. A lot of a lot of Syracuse defense alignment who looked uh, who looked all the more fearsome because of the the tape that they were able to pair from their time playing against Florida State. That is uh, that's that's very true. Also, uh, Brian Burns was mistaken for a Boston College player because Florida State's gold numbers are terrible. Yeah. Uh, it was twice. I, I like he, the did, he did it twice in thirty but, seconds too, which is one horrible on him, but also is, he should have received some production. Uh, support in the background, but uh, yeah, yeah somebody that, that's needs to be uh, an embarrassing, saying, hey, 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 uh, embarrassing moment for for those of us who uh, would wish to not look like BC Junior. Yeah, it also uh, will. Um, how do I say this? It also lets you know just how little college football these NFL guys watch. Because I like even if he looks like a Boston College player in in, in the gold numbers. Which I agree was embarrassing, and I actually like the uniforms other than, than than the gold numbers. But man, I don't think you make that mistake, even if he looks like that. If you watch college football, but these NFL guys don't watch college football, mm-hmm. right? They're just focused on the NFL. It's honestly, it's kind of how they make mistakes, like Josh Allen, the, the the Bills quarterback. It's like, oh, he's got a huge arm. Like, yeah, but he sucked against competition. <laughs> so other than that, yeah. I'm all I'm all for that pick. Take take him super high, you know. Um, He can throw it 65 yards from his knees. Let's let's draft him. Let's draft him in the first round. The other really enjoyable thing I got out of the draft, and this is not totally FSU related, so I'll keep it short. Did you see the news reports of all the bachelorette parties? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, hilarious. (laughs) Who were furious that they they couldn't go downtown? Because you got all, all these dudes going to the draft, and I'm I'm not going to call them losers because you know what, like it's not hurting me if you go to the draft. Uh, there is no way in hell I would go stand outside in the rain to watch somebody's name be called unless, like, I was actually related to that person whose name was being called, or if I was being paid a lot. Like, what? Can you imagine standing outside at the draft? For yeah, hours, the, the draft has always been an incredible social phenomenon uh, for me. Like, just what are these folks doing? Yeah, or the idea that you're going to wait in a building for eight hours so that you can aggressively boo your franchise's fifth round <laughs> pick or something like that. It's just, uh, it's wonderful. It's what makes the the NFL a wildly profitable venture and. I don't know that we've ever seen it quite as uh, visually well represented as as you did during the shots down Broadway uh, on Thursday night. Oh, how, how do these folks? How do you sell this to your wife? Right? Like, I, I want to be there. Like, I want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. Like, hey, honey, I'm going to take a trip to Nashville, and I'm going to go stand outside for hours on end and. Watch a player's name be called for my NFL franchise. He won't play for me for another, you know, six months. Like that, man, I, I don't know. I have a hard time. And, and, and unless she really just wants to get rid of you and, 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 you know, buzz through a lot of 
a lot of like Vanderpump rules on the DVR or something. Man, I I don't know. Like that, I have a hard time thinking that would go over real well. It's a uh, it's a uh, something that's going to have to be explained to me. Not something that I hope to ever understand from a first person perspective. Exactly how people uh, love the draft and feel the need to personally attend, but they do. Good for them, and I hope everybody uh, that made their way out in Nashville had a uh, safe and enjoyable time. Certainly looked like it was quite the party to be had. You know whose draft I like, by the way, is the Dolphins. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Chris having Wilkins fall to him, and uh, I mean, there's all all kinds of things to like about it. Getting the 10th overall pick of last year's draft for what you did was uh, some good things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and you you get some pretty nice floor guys in, uh, the, in the two Wisconsin kids, and you also get Damian Prince, uh, who's, I think, got more of a high-ceiling guy as a former five-star offensive tackle from Ohio State. I, I, I think it's a it's a pretty solid draft for them. I, I know this is FSU talk. We need to get back to that here. Uh, but uh, we got a lot of Dolphins fans that listen, so. All right, we'll pause real briefly to thank our friends at uh, Ford the Table Restaurant Group, Madison Social in particular. Uh, We talked about how we were ever so fortunate to be able to do our uh, pre-spring game event there uh, out on the porch at Madso and only reminded me as to how fortunate we are to – to be able to have them as a sponsor, to be able to authentically uh, push the product that uh, that we believe in, and a, a group and organization that's uh, been nothing but but great for the Nolcast uh, overall. No uh, no food or uh, deals that we're we're going to necessarily highlight today. Only remind you guys that the pint glasses uh, were made available. Uh, for online purchase, I think you get two for twenty-five dollars. Uh, the glasses turned out better than honestly I could have hoped for. Um, I don't think you would be disappointed at all uh, if you were to order them, and it'd be a great way to support uh, the Nolcast or at least uh, have a little Nolcast uh, memorabilia in your uh, in your own hands. So uh, please do give that consideration. We'll tweet out the link uh, today. And uh, just try to make that as as uh, readily available as possible for those of you uh, who do wish to to take part in the uh, the pint class sets that we put together. Engram, I'd say that's a pretty good deal. I mean, two for twenty five bucks. Hell yeah! Support the Nolcast. Support our sponsors. MadSocial.com slash Nolcast dash pint dash set. Boom. Get it. Got it. Good. On to the main topic of the day. All right, so we're going unless to, you have other banter. Yeah, no, I think I'm I'm all out of the bants. So we'll move uh, we'll move on to this here booster conversation. Um, something that we've been kind of talking about for maybe two three months now, and uh, just wanted to have a an open discussion about a group that I think is has some. I don't know if ambiguity or or just some clouded ideas as to what they are and what they try to. Uh, add to the university's athletic presence and and also a little bit as to what they might look like moving forward. It's an interesting, unique setup that the uh, FSU boosters and how they exist and kind of their um, stand uh, standalone organization. And I don't know that that will necessarily always be the case, but it, it is for now. So um, I don't really know where to start exactly here, bud. And it's a big, kind of a big topic that you've got to approach from some uh, particular angle. I think um, one thing that has been consistent, and um, in my opinion, will probably continue to be consistent, is that Florida State, as an athletic department, has specifically chosen to uh, 
try to be a, a total athletic department and and try to support its um, all of its sports in a in a manner that allows it to have a success across the board. I think they do that because they want to um, be successful in everything they choose to participate in. But I also think there's a um, small longer term strategy in play there. And, and look, if we were to go back in the in the time machine thirty years ago. Certainly college football was a massive deal, but if you were talking about how to make money in college athletics, uh, you would have chosen to put 95% of your assets into college basketball. That would certainly not be the case at this point in time. So um, I don't – look, this this podcast is based off of football. Um, nobody's ever going to talk about that it's not the number one thing, but you can't necessarily always plan for the day where college football – is going to be this dominant of a driver uh, when it comes to an athletic department's finances. Yeah, I, I do think it's it, it's really interesting. In the short term, I do think it hurts football uh, some, and that like football right now is your driver. Uh, if let me ask you this: if they could go back and redo the last couple of years, do you think that they would have tried to divert more money into football? Um, yeah, in a perfect world, uh, I think they would have tried to do that i think they would also tell you that for the most part football's been financed at a uh, a level that allows it to be competitive certainly uh but yeah there's always more money that can be devoted to the sport and i think it's appropriate that we we do this now we were actually going to do this a couple weeks ago and i thought that we might be all so caught up in the in the basketball hype that it kind of sways our ideas to uh how people not that anybody's going to start talking about supporting basketball level to football's detriment but it didn't want to necessarily have the the march taste in the in the back of our mouth so um you know, certainly if you look at a school like Clemson or something like that there's not nearly the uh equitable spin um across the board it is solely focused on football and uh there will be those in this support and at times I may be one of them that wants uh $100 to go to football before five anywhere else. Uh, but that's not the model that they've chosen to participate or, or chosen to take part in college athletics based off of. And I don't know that there's going to be a dramatic shift to that model in the near future either. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you as far as their long-term strategy there. They, they do want to continue to support you know, the, the, the non-revenue sports, women's athletics, um, which is included in that because none of them actually make money. Um, at, at least not Florida State. A, a couple of women's basketball programs, I, I think, make money nationally, but not not many. How do you think baseball plays into this? I don't know, man. I, I don't. I've never. We've been fortunate to do this podcast as long as we we have, and I've never said anything for like shock, uh, you know, to be a shock jock or shock value or anything else. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to start now. So if if what I say offends people or, or rubs in the wrong way, I apologize, and I'm can tell you it's just a my opinion of the situation i i don't know bud that any acc school can i don't want to say be long-term competitive because they certainly can have look you can go get maybe a a, a jd drew out of high high road georgia uh, or something like that and that'll certainly change the the look of your program but when compared to the finances of the sec i don't know that there's any sport where that disparity of TV money is more visible than in college baseball. 
And I think that you're going to have a very, very hard time being a player in college baseball. And I make that statement not just for Florida State, for pretty much anybody in the ACC. Um, You certainly can have good programs, but on the whole, um, like, look, Georgia Tech has a great baseball history. Um, And they have a pretty good team this year as well, but they've got – no Mark Garcia Parra. Kevin Brown was a former number one overall pick. Uh, Veritek was a great player uh, in the middle of the 90s. And internally, there are some people at Georgia Tech that have will kind of tell you that they realize that baseball as a long-term thing is not something that they can necessarily be competitive in, uh, particularly in the SEC, uh, being geographically located how they are, and then SEC programs like Vanderbilt very much choosing uh, to play baseball at the highest level. So uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things in play right now with the baseball program, and hope and uh, very fortunately uh, for Florida State fans, their their level of play over the last two to three weeks has risen dramatically, and is not nearly the. Uh, the dumpster fire that it appeared to be a month ago. Uh, But long-term, I have real reservations thinking that Florida State can continue to be a dominant, dominant program uh, when it comes to baseball, at least as long as there's the massive disparity uh, when it comes to TV money. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I mean, this is also a reason, by the way, why I think they should hire Mike Barton Jr., right? Mm Mm-hmm couple reasons here number one and we'll get into this is who is doing the hire right number two until that acc network money kicks in are you going to be able to hire an outside guy who is the same quality for the for the kind of money you're able to pay uh and and willing to pay as you could get in junior i think you should you should hire him and see how he does and if he doesn't do well well if he doesn't do well by the time you figure that out the ACC network money will probably have kicked in and you'll have a new guy making uh, the, the decision. But man, I agree with you that the kind of money SEC is spending on baseball is, is just nuts. And it's just, it's just not there for FSU. And you don't need to, you don't need to do a deep dive into FSU's books to, to know that. Yeah. It's just, they, they don't have it and nobody does in the league. I don't think. No, nobody really has it. Uh, I was, uh, there was a situation last year where I was potentially uh, looking at a, a job offer in Mississippi and um, in sports radio, and I, as such, just tried to become as fluent in uh, in what that would look like. And the importance that's pace, placed on baseball in the SEC West is pretty wild, and the financial support that's placed behind uh, SEC baseball in the West in particular is incredible. The facilities that Old Miss and Mississippi State have brought online over the past two to three years are um, will will kind of give you a, an idea as to where Florida State stands in the college baseball landscape. And the SEC East is uh, uh, slightly down when it comes to baseball right now, but uh, Georgia will figure that thing out. And Georgia has not been particularly competitive in college baseball for a period of time. Uh, I promise you they'll start trying to play baseball in the level that they are everything else right now. Uh, just a lot of, a lot of programs out there that can spin, spin you into oblivion when it comes to this sport. And it's something that Florida state's going to have to be, try to be pretty delicate with how it balances. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. And man, 
Google like Mississippi State baseball stadium suites. I think it is. It is Mississippi State the the, the team that now has like yeah they have luxury suites in their baseball stadium that you can actually like rent out and I think stay in for the weekend. It's a whole it's a whole different playing field over there. There's a lot of places without a whole lot of entertainment value nearby as far as other options for entertainment and where that is just man that's it's it's a much bigger deal there to more people that like like FSU has diehards these other schools just have more of them and more money coming in from their conference network which is a a pretty big deal uh so we mentioned sort of the the reason why I think they should keep meat and this is not really a baseball conversation but uh it does sort of dovetail nicely into a discussion about transition and the uh, the near ter- near term and 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 more of the long term when it comes to the boosters and the presidency and the athletic director situation. So Florida State, uh, as an institution, is in for a very interesting three years here. Or so maybe it's more like two years at this point. Um, either way, within within the next thousand days, you almost certainly have turnover at the presidency. Uh, of the institution, you'll appoint a full-time AD, uh, and I'm not. That's not a shot at your current uh, person that's in that role. It's just ultimately you're going to not have a interim there. And uh, Andy Miller, the longtime president and CEO of Seminole Boosters, and a guy who's uh, become a, an institution in and of himself, will ultimately probably cycle out of that position or at least move to a role where he's not quite his hands on. Uh, those are three very significant changes that will occur. And uh, within that period of time, I, I, I think you're right uh, as far as who you're going to have making hires, the type of hires you're going you're gonna to make, and how that will impact the athletic department as a whole. Yeah, so it, it's going to be extremely interesting. As we know, David Coburn right now is in there um, largely to uh, not balance the budget, but sort of get FSU's finances more in check and uh, have them prepared to uh, to spend that ACC network money in a wise way and, and prepare them uh, for the time up until in which it, it, it comes in. Uh, and I don't have any problem with that, actually. I think it's probably a, a good thing that, that they have Coburn in there uh, right now. And I don't think it would make sense to hire a permanent, I don't want to say full-time, but a permanent AD right now under John Thrasher, who we know is not going to be there uh, for the long term. And, and eventually, I mean, Andy Miller is not immortal, so he will cycle out. Uh, and I mean, I, I don't know the exact timing on that. But yeah, there, there, there's certainly a pretty good chance that all three of these things could happen within the next you know thousand days or so, like you said. So that that's really going to be going to be very interesting. And it's going to largely shape the future of the athletic department, right? Who do they get for an AD? What What's his vision like? Uh, you know, is he more of a visionary type? Is he more of a guy who, like, as far as new revenue streams? Is he more of a, a person who is intent on um, sort of boosting existing revenue streams, season ticket sales, et, et cetera? Uh, and I, I think most importantly, um, because we know the ACC network is not going to bring an SC network style money. It's just they, the, the timing of it and the quality of the programs and, and the, the quality of the teams in the league is just not the same. 
top to bottom. Um, most importantly, how do how does the the AD and and what is the interplay like between the AD and the boosters as far as the organization? And how do they reach out and get in touch with existing boosters and and grow that booster base? Because that that's been an issue for a while now, and and you know I, I don't know that it's necessarily heading in the direction it needs to head for Florida State to continue to be an elite program. So there's a there's a pretty um, concerning degradation when it comes to total number of boosters that Florida State uh, can claim. Now, from a from a macro standpoint, uh, the level of money that they've brought in has been fairly consistent, uh, which means you've become more reliant upon larger uh, single donors. But um, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm doing anything inappropriate here but in in 2014 uh florida state or fsu boosters had uh, 18,231 uh individuals who took part in their program whether it be at the iron era level which is the lowest uh, all the way up to legacy uh by 2018 that number had uh, come down to 13,351 so almost a 5,000 person drop and a 5,000 person drop when you're talking about a group of 18,000 people is a really significant number and concerning. Um, the boosters, obviously this is not a, a trend that can continue. Uh, I, I give credit to the organization for having the total number of uh, the top line revenue uh, stay fairly consistent over that period of time. But that's a, that's a trend that they're going to have to address and address head on. So that's a big deal, man. I mean, really, obviously it's a big deal. This is where sort of I'm not sure that FSU fans' rhetoric matches up with with their support level, right? We 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 see it on we see it on Twitter. We we see on message boards and all these folks. Oh my gosh, you know, they, a, a lot of criticism for the program, but yet if you, I'm not saying if you're not a booster, you, you can't criticize but florida state's booster fees are very cheap compared to other programs and yet their numbers still kind of lag behind and and i don't know that there's this sort of collective ownership feel in the product at florida state that they have at some other programs and yes the 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 tv network money makes a big difference in overall revenue but we've spoken about uh, Ipte at Clemson, the, the old, you know, I pay 10 a year program, which certainly is no longer 10 a year, but it, it's evolved. But those booster numbers are are not good. So there's some kind of disconnect happening, right, at Florida State. And we've heard from a lot of people who don't like their booster reps. I mean, just I've got the emails and, and, and the tweets to prove it, right? They're just dissatisfactory customer service uh, with, with, with them. Um, you know, we talked about the trying to charge for an infant in arms uh, to go into the Champions Club, I mean, I wasn't on the phone call allegedly, but that was one, you know, one we got. Do so you get a lot of complaints about that? There's no doubt they could improve their customer service, and I'm not trying to just blast the organization here. But th- there's two things here. One is, or three things, I guess two. Like it's maintenance of current boosters, so you stop the bleeding, right? And people who are still boosters at this, at this point, after the last two years, are are pretty. Uh, they're pretty diehard people and they really care. It's important to treat them right. And then finding ways to entice new boosters, right? So better sort of stadium and, and experiential uh, offerings, I would say, are, are a big part of that. 
So when people do come to games uh, and, and finding ways to make them feel more of a part of the program. And, and I think part of that is uh, even sentimental, you know, cheap things that, that people appreciate as far as, hey, you know, thanks for being a booster. Thanking them, you know, sort of helping them realize that they have ownership in this as opposed to just always hitting them up for more and more money. I know that, that's a complaint. Uh, that, that we get a lot, which might honestly be tied into how cheap the, the season ticket and booster levels are, which again, I don't know if they really have the, the capital to raise uh, the, those, those numbers a lot right now, but uh, it's, it, I think they could do a better job of, of managing their, their current members, at, at least from the, uh, from the things that we get. Now, granted, in any sort of customer service field, Almost anytime somebody gives you feedback, it's going to be negative because if it's positive, it's almost just like the expectation that, that the customer service is going to be good. So there is a, a selection bias uh, at, at play here, but I still think they, they could do a better job. I think that's exceptionally fair. Uh, I think our our email inbox and Twitter mentions and just personal conversations uh, with people have, have let me know that they do have a, a little bit of a relationship issue. Um, I think you point out a great uh, fact that anytime you give an organization money, um, if it's not exactly the way that you think it should be, you're more than likely to be uh, rubbed the wrong way or um, state that you weren't as satisfied with, with participation. Um, the guy who gives Florida State $4,000 a year and th- thinks that he's uh, – taking part in adding to a program um, in a manner that allows him to somewhat feel more emotionally invested is probably not going to take the time to write us an email saying as much. Uh, It's probably not going to blow up Twitter saying that. I will say that, um, look, we don't neither. We don't have an official relationship with the boosters. We're not uh, carrying anybody's water here. And we're not, uh, you know, taking taking money from uh, any uh, institution to try to push membership or, or anything else. Uh, we do, for purposes of full disclosure, our our sponsor is is a <laughs> is an occupant in College Town. Um, so I don't want to act like we don't have any kind of ties to the boosters whatsoever. But um, I, I would consider people to. Uh, or, or at least urge consider people to look. If you want to join as an Iron Arrow, you can you can join in as Iron Arrow for as little as seventy dollars. Um, I give a small amount monthly to the soccer club that I'm a, a massive fan of, and to me, it's great money to spend. It's uh, it's for a supporter supporters group uh, that buys shares in the institution and, uh, over time has accumulated a a large chunk of shares and a, uh, what is hopefully a positive influence on the, on the team that I cheer for. Uh, doesn't mean that I call them when they lose three to one, uh, on Sunday and complain about things or anything else. Uh, it just means that I have that slightly more involvement and it's something that I'm happy to do. Um, I would encourage people to contact the boosters. And, and if you haven't been a booster before, uh, give it a year as a trial period and and see if it's for you. See if you can, uh, uh, you know, make that a, a process that, that you can be a part of. Uh, there is something a little bit more about being uh, invested in something that you're emotionally invested in. And um, I certainly 
have heard enough people complain about their booster rep and other things that are within that uh that whole structure i can also tell you from a first-hand perspective i've been pretty pretty impressed with uh with some of the booster reps that i've interacted with and they've been a, a nice little addition to a organization that greatly needed to to beef up its numbers and its fundraising capability so um Again, we're not doing an advertisement for anybody here, uh, but I do think that Florida State has a massive, massive fan base, electronic fan base in particular. Um, I'm always pretty quick to point out that uh, this podcast is successful because of the consistently uh, consistency in which we've done it and the period of time that we've done it and the level of insight that my uh, co-host brings to all things Florida State athletics. Uh, but ultimately, we're as successful as we are because the size of Florida State's electronic fan base is massive. And uh, they've got to do a little bit better job of uh, harnessing that electronic fan base and, and turning it into real tangible boosters. So we give you all about 75 hours a year of of Nolcast. I really do think that everybody who consumes a majority of our shows should be a booster. If you are this invested in Florida State that you're going to listen to the vast majority of our shows, which is an entirely FSU focused show for like for literally like like two, you know, work weeks full of of content per year and you're not a booster, there's some kind of disconnect there. That, that really shouldn't happen. I, I would strongly encourage you, if you like our show, yeah, you should become a booster unless you have some you know, real reason not to. And I understand there, there are you know, certainly certainly some. Um, but, man, it, it's it's not that much. And I, I would strongly encourage people to do it. Uh, and I, I do think it gives you a greater ownership in your program uh, like you uh, like you mentioned. I so, Ingram, you know, one thing that we, we've discussed in, in the declining booster rates um, as far as dealing with booster reps and, and the reasons why people may, may be dropping, but there's one reason that – there's one really strong reason. It's just hard to get to Tallahassee. And, and I did a study in 2014. I, th- I think I've referenced this on the show before. Probably have. I actually had somebody from the boosters reach out to me and ask, ask for my data on this, and, and I happily provided it to them. Um, so – Check this out. Within 100 miles, and, and I think this is a, a good radius to use, and, and if you all know what radius means, it just basically within a 100-mile circle around Tallahassee, according to the, to the, the U.S. Census, 850,871 people. That's the population. That's not, that seems like a lot, but it's really not. And so what I did is I, I took and I compared that number to other programs with at least 75,000 seating capacity. So remember, Florida State's 851,000. Nebraska is the next lowest at 1.45 million. So Nebraska, which we think of as, you know, oh, you know, the people with corn in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska within 100 miles has 74% more population. Clemson, which again, we think of, if you've been to Clemson, it does seem like it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Clemson, 1.7 million people within a 100-mile radius. That's just such a big deal, man. Now, you know why it's a big deal? Because to me, a 100-mile radius is basically the maximum in which you can day trip something. 
Because I, if you think about it, 100-mile radius, you probably cover that if you're driving in an hour and a half. But we all know it's not going to be an hour and a half because you got to there, – there's traffic to get into the game to park. So I, I do think within a 100-mile radius, door-to-door, you can be two hours from your house to parked. Not sit, not your tailgate set up, but just parked. So that's two hours there and then probably two hours back. So that's four hours. If the game takes four hours – that's eight. You know, you can you can set up your tailgate and tailgate for a couple hours. You got you got tailgate, tailgate takedown. Let, let's say set up takedown and tailgating and, and a quick trip over to Madison Social four hours. Well, that that's that's twelve hours right there. That's doable. Man, you start adding on other hours onto that thirteen hours, fourteen hours. I I don't think a lot of people want to do that. Especially not if you got a wife and kids, and and it just it makes it so hard. Now, if you look at these other numbers, so how about Florida, right? What what does what does Florida have? Florida, five point one million people within a hundred mile radius. Florida State again, eight hundred fifty one thousand. So Florida has six times the population within a one hundred mile radius. If you if you expand this out to two hundred fifty miles, which is a lot better for Florida State, 10.6 million. Florida, 13.3 million. So it does close the gap significantly at 250 miles. But within 100 miles, and if you think about it, what, what's around Florida State within 100 miles? Well, we got one issue is that nobody lives actually in the Gulf of Mexico, <laughs> right? Which is about a third, about a third of that radius is, is Gulf of Mexico. You got a lot of national forest. Uh, you got a lot of um, like South Alabama, South Georgia, where nobody really lives population-wise. I, mean, I know some some people live, but not not many. You know, Panama City, Pensacola are very sparsely populated compared to major cities. Uh, Jacksonville is is more than 100 miles to most of it. Um, so that's a pretty big deal. And one thing it does, I, I, I think there are are two difficulties with this. Number one, the inability to day trip requires that you have to stay overnight. And thus, people always ask us, why are these hotels so expensive? Because even though the, the, there aren't necessarily that many fans at the game, we know that almost all of the fans at the game cannot day trip. So they have they have to stay overnight. Thus, the demand for the hotels is really high in relation to the actual number of people going to the game and thus a quick check this morning on Marriott and most of the Marriott properties in Tallahassee are like 450 bucks a night, two night minimum. So your, your downstroke on just hotels is, is 900, whether or not you use the two nights. And in many cases you need to use the two nights uh, depending on, on, on when the game time is. It also sort of really kills the ability for most fans to do like spur of the moment uh travel to Tallahassee. I I can tell you very anecdotally, this is a a very strong thing for me. Absolutely. You can't just choose in Atlanta on a Friday afternoon that you're going to try to make a a Saturday game that you hadn't otherwise planned for. But you can with the Braves game. And if you live in Orlando or Tampa or uh, Jacksonville, not really Miami, you, you can do it for a Gator game. But for Florida State, you can't. And that is a real obstacle in terms of, of getting people to games, which 
the vast majority of people who are boosters are also season ticket holders, as I understand it, unless, unless that's changed. So this kind of goes hand in hand. How do you get people to come to games when it's so far away, when they have a lot of, a lot of good options now for entertainment, when, when HGTV is so good? I, mean, I, I just dropped a 50-incher in, in, in my studio here for like 250 bucks. It's a great, it's a great picture. I, I have it on in, in the corner. You know, there's so many good options now. They have to get creative about their stadium experience. You've got to create an experience that you can't, you can't have at home. Their their, their battle is with HGTV in that regard, and making sure that people come to games and and finding ways to overcome the obstacles of these really high hotel prices, which are not going to come down as long as the demand for hotels remains high. And unless they're going to move the schools or move the location of major cities, the demand is not going to really change unless the the tennis just totally falls off a cliff or something, which I I don't think it will. Um, I guess the other option would be to build some sort of additional hotels. But again, that's probably not that realistic uh, above and beyond what, what they're already doing. And I know they do have more hotel rooms coming uh, in the area, as they say, uh, in, in in the next year or two, they do. And there's there's talk about uh, there's a s- small section of College Town that operates uh, as basically Airbnb, and there's talk about maybe increasing that uh, that. But th- I mean, those are, these are small little things. You might be talking about adding another twenty, you know, twenty different spots uh, with a town with a city that grows by. Uh, a multiple of, of anywhere from two to four, depending on the game. Um, just look, uh, we're real fortunate we've been able to do this, have some sponsors. Um, even then, like when Bud calls me and tells me how much our hotel rooms are, <laughs> I'm like, good Lord, uh, this, this is ridiculous how much, how much it costs. Uh, and that's just puts it in perspective uh, for me, I mean, it, it's about as much as it is uh, to go and stay in a, <clears throat> you know, something like a courtyard by Marriott uh, for a, a weekend in Tallahassee as it is to go and stay in a really nice hotel in Manhattan. Um, it's it's more it's, sometimes. It is more. I mean, it, so it is. Our expense policy at, at, at Vox, right? I, I think I can, this is probably public knowledge. We get two seventy five a night for hotels in all major cities. Except we get three seventy five a night for San Francisco, San Francisco, I think D.C., and then New York. Now, look, the only time I've ever had to exceed my expense policy at Vox is not in any of those cities. It's in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've had to do it a couple times because it's just absolutely ridiculous. But the problem is, it's just economics. I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, it doesn't make any sense. No, it makes a lot of sense because the demand is crazy high because nobody can drive home after the game. And a lot of people have to drive up the night before, which is great for local businesses. But um, for, for the fans, it, it's it's a hindrance. It also, I think, limits the number of games you can attend. It's hard. It's a hard sell to go to all seven games if you live outside that 100-mile radius. It's a hard sell if you have a wife and kids to, to, to pack them all up and, and take them up there and take them back. Um, thus, I do think it's very smart that Florida State is offering some of these flex packs, right? Hey, you, you can be a booster, you can be a quote-unquote season ticket holder, and you get three or four games. When they have two home games, I think this is – or two marquee home games, which is something I know David Coburn has spoke a lot about, 
uh, as far as having a, a game in your years, in your, um, your your odd numbered years where you're playing uh, on the road at Clemson at Florida, you usually have Miami, and then your next best game is like NC State, which most people do not find to be a good game. Uh, if you're able to have a, a another home game that's an elite quality home game, granted it does decrease your chance of going to the playoff because it's obviously you're got like a coin flip chance of winning it. But they can do the flex pack deal where okay, you get uh, either Florida plus three or Clemson plus three, right? And you, you don't get both, but you get one of the two big marquee games in, in the in the odd number of years. You get Miami or whoever that, that other one is plus three. I think that makes a whole lot of sense, and, and I'm, I'm wondering if, if they're going to have success doing so. Uh, I, I, we see that in other sports too, like in baseball, it can be hard to sell somebody on a 100 or well, 162 total games, but 81 home games. An 81 home game package is difficult to sell, but I know some teams have had success selling flex packs, right? Where you get a certain number of tier A games, and you get a certain number of, of you know tier B and tier C, and you get to pick uh, which which ones you go to and you can kind of cash those tickets in with uh, relatively short notice, I think. And, and honestly, like for the flex pack stuff, I would say you get you get Florida and any of these other five, right? I don't really care which which game against the slappy you go to. You just you don't get Florida and Clemson in the same year uh, with, with a flex pack. So uh, something to consider there that I think they are doing now, and I'd be interested in, in some feedback as far as how they are doing. With that, but the idea makes sense uh, as, as far as how they break those up, and I, I know that's something that I think you're excited about as well. They also need to do a better job, if they can, with with in stadium experiences. They do, uh, the, and this has certainly been a <clears throat> you know has been a part about what brought the uh, the champions. Uh, why am I blanking on the champions, champions lounge? Club. Champions Club. Thank you, sir. The Al the Al Dunlop Champions Club. Uh, as though we don't have quite enough things with the Dunlop last name on it, but uh, it's it's something that is uh, was brought about by the boosters and uh, has financially proven to to be very successful. And uh, I'm not necessarily would sign off on exactly how they've they've done it and some of the aesthetic ramifications uh, of the Champions Club. But you can't argue with the numbers and you can't argue uh, with the overall trend as to what people look for in an in-stadium experience. And the, the Champions Club is a, is a lot more reflective of that than uh, a metal bleacher, you know, 45 yards up in the, in the back of the end zone uh, where a lot of those, I think as we talked about, a couple of years ago, even when you did sell those seats, normally it was because you sold mm, 75 to the Boys and Girls Club for $2 a piece or something like that. Um, so they've they've certainly gone about a pretty significant transformation in part of the stadium. And, uh, you know, Doak will never be uh, something that has every bill, uh, every bell and whistle. But there are some some very strong things that they can continue to do uh, to to add to the in game experience. Yeah, like Wi-Fi. Man, it's hard for people to go without their phones now for for three, four hours at a time. And you know, I, I know is it, it's just it's a really key experience. And and we're seeing more and more stadiums now have in stadium Wi-Fi. A- A- Atlanta has it up by you, the, the new Mercedes Benz Dome. I don't know how much that costs. I imagine with 
with sponsorship from whoever the Wi-Fi provider is, it, the cost would be reduced, and that would be something that would go sort of hand in hand, I would assume. Uh, but that that's becoming not really a luxury, but but now a necessity. And I do think that uh, as as they continue to not have that, they will continue to see a certain number of people, especially younger people, uh, decide not to go because a lot of this is hey, let's let's make plans to meet up after the game and. For a certain portion of the fan base, and this is largely younger, the ability to snap each other during the game or, you know, uh, like Snapchat for our older listeners. Uh, it, it, it's an app. Um, you know, to be able to, to Instagram during a game, to be able to go live during a game. A lot of people put themselves on, on live on these social media apps consistently, which is insane to me, but um, it's a thing. I, that's a big deal to folks. And if you don't have that, I think it can be harder to convince certain people to go. It may uh, be harder to convince certain spouses to go. Um, not trying to generalize there, but I think there's a percentage of population that just, it detracts from their willingness to go if you do not have Wi-Fi in the stadium. And right now they, they don't. So um, one other thing real quickly before we leave the, the chart, and hopefully we'll either tweet this out or point to the, I've seen this on Tomahawk before, and it's a great visual representation. Um, just when when you're speaking about conference competition, uh, Clemson has certainly had a, a fantastic uh, booster set up, and the success of Ipte uh, speaks to itself. The one of the real things that has gone right for Clemson recently, not as though they need a whole lot, uh, but the the growth of the Greenville Spartanburg area has made a lot of people that were kind of like relatively wealthy, very, very wealthy. So a lot of these old line families that have maybe like a 3,000 acre tree farm, uh, that 3,000 acre tree farm is not valued at $1,500 an acre all of a sudden. It's valued at six to $7,000 an acre. Uh, the, the growth of the Greenville-Spartanburg area has made a ton of people a lot more wealthy than they have been previously in the Clemson fan base and Clemson as an institution, uh, as they have done with a lot of things recently, whether it be football in general or social media, uh, has done a great job kind of uh, lassoing some of that economic uh, growth that's gone on and has done a great job of tapping into some of these families that have found themselves uh, made significantly more wealthy in the past decade or so uh, because of because of the value of land and uh, just the general surge that has taken place in that part of South Carolina. There's no doubt about it. I, I flew into Greenville when I went to uh, Asheville, actually. And dude, Greenville's airport is like super nice right now. That 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 town is, is I mean, it's not, it's not doing just to call it a town. It's becoming a, a, a much more major city. You're, you're exactly right. It, this list is always crazy to me, right? As far as just, I mean, Florida State, 850,000. Nebraska, 1.5 million, roughly. Clemson, 1.7. Auburn, Auburn, 2 million. Oklahoma, 2.2. Oklahoma, 2.2. Bama, 2.3. Tennessee, 2.4. LSU, 3.3. South Carolina, 3.5. Wisconsin, 3.9. Penn State, which is really in the middle of nowhere, honestly. I mean, but you got two major cities right there, right? Penn State, 4 million. Texas five, okay, Florida five, five one, understandable. Ohio State six point seven, Georgia seven, 
Michigan 7.2, Texas A&M 8.3, and this was 2014. I did the study, so probably grown a little bit. Uh, Michigan State 8.6, UCLA 19 million, which I mean, obviously, um, that would make a lot of sense. And uh, USC, if they're capacity, yeah. I mean, the Nebraska one really stands out to me. That's a what's the Nebraska being seventy five percent bigger within hundred miles? What's the is, cute little fact there that the when the when the stadium's occupied, it becomes the third largest city in the state? I mean, are you serious? Uh, that 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 stands out to me and is not not something that I thought would be the case at all. So there are some definitely some unique challenges to this job, to, to running this booster organization that they have to overcome. And, and these aren't new challenges because the location of, of Tallahassee and, and, uh, and Gainesville uh, and other major cities have, have not changed. I think what has changed are the alternatives to actually going to games, right? And when you, those alternatives get better, I do think that uh, sitting in a car for eight hours, nine hours round trip, 10 hours, uh, you know, if you're, if you're in Miami, I mean, God, like 11 Sometimes the traffic, 12 hours round trip, maybe a little more. Uh, You've you, you got to make that stadium experience worth it for people to, to do that if, if you're not going to fly. And, uh, I mean, what, what's, what's Atlanta? Like 10 with traffic, I guess, round, round trip? Yeah, it's about 10. I mean, I've done that. I did that 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 in a one-day situation, and that is uh, that is not enjoyable. I did that recently, and that's a that's a tough, tough ask on the old uh, automobile and the and – the, uh, uh, individual who happens to be operating it, yeah, yeah. Um, so finally, I mean, hopefully we've uh, had the conversation that we've wanted to. Uh, I, I'll just say this: I, I, there's, there's a, there's certainly the word stigma is not appropriate, but there's a, there's a general level of kind of questioning that surrounds the Florida State boosters that uh, I don't know is necessarily appropriate, and, and I and I don't necessarily absolve the boosters of, of blame for that. They they need to do a better job of telling their story, of telling the role that they've played in uh, transforming Florida State into the athletic powerhouse uh, that they've become. Um, ultimately, and again, I don't think I'm I'm speaking out of school here, but. Uh, there will come a day where the boosters probably sell College Town, and that won't be because of, uh, hopefully, that won't be because of any kind of massive economic shortfall. Uh, it will be uh, because of a, a real estate play that they were able to make, and uh, it is one of the few areas where Florida State, uh, as an athletic department, can can make kind of a, a great leap forward, uh, and that will be uh, something that they've done that will allow this program to kind of uh, jump in time and overcome some of the challenges that it faces with its uh, uh, alumni structure and the fact that it was a single-sex school till the basically the early 50s and all the other unique challenges that Florida State uh, bears. That that has been a great success for them and will ultimately be a a major role in them trying to fund um, you know fully endow uh, the athletic scholarships, which is something that they haven't done which is i don't want to say a dirty little secret it's a it's an open fact but it's uh indicative of the level where florida state is when you compare it to some of its peers yeah i I think that that's a a great point and i think in the interim though based on all the feedback we get college town has been a success already and that they can additionally move to at some point they could in theory you know, unload it at, at 
at a nice profit as a real estate play makes a whole lot of sense, and I, I think is is reason for uh, for optimism here. But but it has been successful so far, from from what I understand. Uh, it, a lot of the businesses there do very well. Um, I think the turnover they have there is decreasing, by the way, which is natural, right? In any kind of new shopping center or or development, you're going to have some initial sort of anchor stores, and you're going to have some that. Um, everybody has good business ideas and, and some of them work out and some don't. And it does seem like the turnover there may be decreasing a little bit as far as the, uh, the occupants and, uh, pretty sure that they do a great job of, of having all those, uh, those condos, uh, and apartments sold and rented out and whatnot. So, uh, that, that to me is, is a positive, right? And, and champions club, like you mentioned, is also, been a big positive uh, overall as far as revenue. Now, optics of it are, are another story, something I think they could have planned for a little bit better and something I think they can still perhaps adjust to. And if they could find a way to, to, to shade that area, uh, it would be big because I, I think a lot of people would, would love to sit outside uh, in October and November. September games, even with the shade, maybe not as much, uh, but it would also, I think, impact how TV shoots at some. Because you look at some of these stadiums where there are shaded areas, it's harder to tell that there's nobody in the seats. When it's fully illuminated and multicolored, well, guess what? I got a pretty good idea that there's nobody in those seats. It's, it's kind of like the old, uh, we would mock Miami for having those orange seats. It's, it's similar, to, to me, it's similar to that, right? It, it's real easy to see when you got 10,000 empty orange seats in, in, in old... Uh, in old Joe Robbie, uh, they kind of had that same element going on there. But but overall, if they could go back and do it again, I think they would absolutely do College Town and and do the Champions Club again. Um, and you're right; they should do a better job of of telling their story. I think that makes a lot of sense because there there are successes there, and we generally only hear um, at least you know feedback from fans and boosters about failures i'm sure there's a ton of happy boosters out there and there should be more like you guys really should become a booster if, if you care about the program and, and if you know like i said if you invest your time this much time listening to us which is a show about the program you should at least you know invest a little bit of money in the actual program about which we are podcasting um but yeah you're right on all those accounts, I, I think that's that's dead on, and I'm interested to see kind of what what new ventures they have going forward. So, uh, hopefully, this has been you know beneficial to people and has helped uh, us speak on a, a topic matter that sometimes has what I think is maybe some unnecessary ambiguity or at least a, a level of uh, understanding from the the general fan base. It's, it's something that we can certainly circle back to uh, at times. Uh, like I said, I, I've, I've had nothing but uh, positive interactions uh, with the people that I've worked with, but uh, I know that that's not always the case for people. And uh, if you haven't had a, a great, you know, initial uh, observation or first impression, uh, I would just urge you to, you know, whatever whatever individual might have rubbed you the wrong way is is not worth uh, emotionally having the potential to have a, a, a stronger emotional investment in uh, in the subject matter that, as Bud points out, um, you, you choose to spend 65 minutes uh, this morning uh, listening to us discuss. So uh, just give it give, give it consideration. And uh, if if you think becoming a booster is something uh, that you'd like more information about, 
uh, you can contact them and, and see if that would ultimately be a good fit for you. All right, now I want to pause to thank Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans is a longtime supporter of the Nolcast. It's where I got my mortgage for, for my new place. It's where you should get yours too. Here's why. Excellent customer service. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN or visit fsuhomeloans.com, you're going to be hooked up with Shannon Young. Shannon Young is the best guy to deal with in the mortgage business. Excellent communication. He's going to get you a great rate. He'll walk you through the process if you've never been through it. And even if you have, he's going to stay on top of you. I want to make sure you lock in the right rate at the right time. It's a good experience, to be honest. Like The mortgage experience, nobody says, oh, it's an amazing experience. But but Shannon makes it as good as it possibly can be. It's Knowles helping Knowles, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. Give them a call. And uh, speaking of 65 minutes, we're about to give you five bonus minutes of, of content on Game of Thrones. Yeah, so if you if you just hear from Florida State Athletics, you can certainly pause. We're not going to discuss any uh, recruiting information. You're not going to miss anything. Uh, we don't really do this a whole lot, but it's uh, of cultural significance, and uh, it's certainly all the rage right now, and Bud and I enjoy it. So uh, we'll just kind of riff on pop culture here for the next five to seven minutes, and if that's not your speed, uh, you're certainly welcome to pause here. We appreciate you listening, and we'll look forward to hopefully talking to you in the next week or so. All right. Uh, also, this spoiler alerts. So if you've not seen a Sunday show, definitely turn the show off now. There's no more FSU talk. This this last couple of minutes is simply Game of Thrones. All right, bud. What would you think of Sunday night show? You know, I, overall, I I liked it. I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty creative. Um, one of the ways they shot it kind of I thought was really really cool but also like dude I had I had trouble seeing what was going on in these battles and I think that was the intent right they wanted to express just how difficult it was because of the the walkers and and, and the night king's forces and, and how they they basically turned it and they sort of you know they, they wanted to play their game right and and not let uh not let the living play their game but I think you could have done that and and shown better uh sort of mid-range clarity uh, and left some of the, the the cloudiness and the haziness of, of, of the blizzard for for more of the the high angle shots. Uh, I was okay with the the close up battle, uh, but at the same time, I, I wish they would have shown a little bit better, clearer pullback angles. Because for a while, I was like, I, I'm really not sure what's going on right now in these battles. I had the same experience. I kept... Uh, Do you think it was your TV? I, I kept trying to mess with my TV, and you made a point earlier. I mean, I go into Costco every other week, and I see a TV for 400 bucks. That's incredible. And I'm like, you know what? It may... It may just be time. Uh, and I'm like, no, this is not... This is not a TV problem. This is just a very... You know, it's just shot in a very dark manner for, for numerous reasons uh, that you touched on. But yeah, there were there were periods of time where... I was pausing and trying to adjust the contrast or brightness or whatever else. And uh, there's some slight things you can do, but especially on a show like that, you don't necessarily want to uh, to have the viewer uh, have to stop and, and make adjustments to the to the TV settings to to try to a little bit more take in what you're doing. So, yeah, I, I think you bring up a great point that there's uh, intentionality in that. And it was uh, meant to convey just how how much of the quote unquote fog of war uh that that can play but it it did at times make it exceptionally hard to understand or or have an idea as to what was going on so 
I also thought the tactics used by the living uh, were a little bit sketchy at times. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm, I happen to be in full agreement with you there. I think uh, I think the initial like charge of the Dothraki was uh, was a, a really uh, it, it made for a nice uh, uh, comeback for for the old uh, red woman there, where she was able to give everybody a little piece of fire and uh, from a cinemat- uh, cinematography point of view, it was a beautiful scene uh, but i i can't think that any kind of strategy would involve you suiciding the greatest cavalry unit that the the earth knows at that point of time just because that's how you wanted to start the battery or, or the battle it's i'm not a i'm not a, a military expert and i didn't go to west point uh but I, i'll say i studied enough of the civil war and some of the um uh british and and France's uh, periodic wars over about a 700 period of time that, you know, you don't like cavalry doesn't always necessarily start on the the immediate battlefield. You you, you sometimes intentionally uh, don't have them in play. And uh, for those that say, well, what else could you do with them? It's not like you could put them within the walls or that they'd be a, an asset otherwise. Well, you can wait to deploy your cavalry. You don't necessarily suicide you don't necessarily turn the dothraki into the charge of the light brigade and uh i would say that in general but i would certainly say it when you know that uh whatever goes out may very well come back at you in in one of the more uh vicious boomerangs that uh that is out there so the idea of uh of of turning the dothraki against yourself just because you wanted to see him charge over a, a mile or so uh, made me made me question whether or not that was real tactics or if it was just uh, done for for uh, cinematic reasons. In my head, I was like Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> have, have you seen that that video? That it's probably from I don't know ten fifteen years ago, where the there's a bunch of these dudes playing like World of Warcraft online and they're all linked up and somebody's recording it and they're they're talking about like their inter, in, intricate strategy and uh, and then, then this one guy. Uh, it's like Leroy Jenkins, and he just rushes in and like totally blows the element of surprise and all this other stuff, and 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 uh, and, and they lose. They're like, oh, damn it, Larry! Um, but they also didn't know what they were charging at. Yeah, no idea. They had and no they idea out, what they, they were outran their. Uh, they outran their. I don't want to call it air support, but their their uh, uh, not would it be trebuchet or. Uh, What's the word for the big? Yeah, I think those, those are balls. trebuchets. Yeah. Okay, uh, they, they they outran their ability to to have any help from anybody else, and they also like they kind of didn't like. Why would you set up the, uh, the, the 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 like the ring of thorns um, as far back as you did? Like for any kind of war movie or like war documentary I've ever seen, like they put like a lot of obstacles throughout the battlefield. This was like uh, almost uh, almost like, like in hockey, right? The goalie doesn't want to retreat too far into his net because he exposes too much of the net. He wants to come out and increase his effectiveness by increasing his, his relative surface area uh, via using angles, right, um, at, at the shooter. And and it, it's, it was kind of a similar thing here. It's like, man, you got – Got a lot, a lot of space to, uh, to cover here with no real obstacles for the enemy. I, I would probably – Set some, set some up, and I know that maybe part of that was because they had limited time, 
um, to set things up. However, uh, yeah, their plan was kind of weird. Also, it felt like like Daenerys just kind of charged into battle on her dragon uh, much too early, and they the use of the dragons was was really kind of sketchy to me. Um, I don't know. Did you think that was weird? Like like how they were using them? A little bit, yeah, certainly. And uh, and also speaking of dragons, I I did find it weird that at no point at all. Did anyone in Winterfell express a concern? Like, at this point, it's not speculation that the dead have a dragon. It's become a, a pretty documented fact based off uh, this, <laughs> the destruction of uh, of the largest physical uh, element that, that existed in that world with the wall. So I just found it odd that at no point in time was any of the discussion used to, uh, hey, we're probably going to have one of those things thrown at us and... Maybe we should have some ideas to how we're going to handle that. It was as though the fact that uh, uh, the old Night King might be flying in on a dragon was was something that seemingly caught them off guard. Yeah, it's uh, that was that was poor tactics uh, to me. And um, I, did you? Well, the one tactic I did like though at the end, obviously Arya, uh, that was pretty neat. Um, and we, we've heard all the jokes about how she was used to being choked by Gendry and all that stuff <laughs> on on Twitter. So she so she was ready for it. Uh, man, that was that was pretty interesting that uh, how they did that. And I, I think it was, I think it was pretty foreseeable, like halfway through the episode, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, um, because she she did finally get her weapon and then she disappears for a little bit and then, then Melisandre, uh, the line about uh, you know she will kill you know brown eyes and and, uh, and and black eyes and green eyes and also blue you know blue eyes and she's not done um you know not tonight type deal um but I, I thought the way they did it was pretty cool do you know like do you think that she did the whole uh a man has no face deal and became one of his generals I'd, I'd love to see if they're gonna provide more context on that because I I would I would love to know exactly the series of events that led to her uh, Jordan leaping at the Night King. Yeah, uh, I would. I would love to know as to what the uh, circumstances were surrounding that and how she got into such close proximity. So, if you look at it, it does look like there's a sort of maybe three three frame sequence. Okay. Uh, Bran looks at the Night King and almost looks like he's looking past him, you know? And the Night King sort of does, like, your your dog ever looked at you kind of confused, like, hmm? And then the one of the generals uh, kind of looks to his side almost. And, and, and you hear the kind of the wind sound. And then she jumps out of nowhere. It did... Uh, I wonder if if you if you rolled it back even further. I have not done this. Was there another general next to that general? And then the reason why he looked to his side was because that general was was all of a sudden gone. I don't know. Would it would be nice if if uh, any further context is provided as to that series of events. But uh, it was a it was. Ultimately, uh, very enjoyable, sets us up for kind of a predictable uh, return to the more traditional uh, villain of uh, of uh, old green eyes down there at uh, 
at King's Landing, and uh, we'll see kind of see what the rest of the season has for us. But uh, a great episode, uh, not perfect by any means, but certainly enjoyable. Something that I I honestly took a, a baby aspirin beforehand because I just knew that my heart rate was going to be going through the roof, uh, and and it didn't disappoint. Uh, there were numerous times where I'm like, I feel like I've been like physically active for 10 minutes now like why 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 do i feel like this well uh, it's because because i was so emotionally you know fixated on this and and uh drawn into it so credit to them for that one thing i did not like they didn't kill off any a-list characters <laughs> bud loves the gore he wants he wants the the significant somebody should die like somebody really like a major character should die okay did, i don't know if sam died or not we, we, we discussed this pre-show i think he might have and and ingram's not sure to me he's kind of played out at this point like okay he, he, he served his role he discovered a lot of magic stuff and he also was able to figure out that john was targaryen and at this point i have a hard time seeing what else he could really um uh, do unless he can invent like um uh, if he can invent the steam engine and give it to the boats as opposed to sailing that would be really good um but other than that he, i think he's kind of but he was a b-less character and the uh uh jorah was sort of a, i know he's been in he's, he's a long-running character but to me he's sort of one of the the tier two guys right i i was thinking either a John or uh, uh, the Targaryen girl or Arya or uh, the, the 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 Queen of the North or uh, the the dwarf. Um, yeah, Tyrion. I, man, I thought one of those was going to die, and they didn't do it. They didn't. We'll we'll see. I have a feeling that's probably. Probably come in, but uh, it could help to focus yeah. the show down the stretch yeah, if, so. if they did, because they still have so many big storylines to maintain. Now, part of it will be easier to maintain in that uh, they will have sort of they'll all be together most likely as they go down to King's Landing, so you won't have to shoot like a million different locations. But I still, I don't know. I, I kill off somebody main. That, that's what the show would have done, I, I think, back when the, book, when the books were still in existence. Hey, guys, just real briefly here, I want to remind you uh, to please give us five stars on iTunes. Uh, we, we ask for it shamefully, but if you do decide to listen to the show and you're a consistent listener, obviously you're, you're pretty pleased with it, and we'd love if you would reflect that with a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, also, if you grab your wife or your, your kid's uh, iPhone, you can also hit us up with, with five-star reviews on their iTunes. Subscribe there. As well, that always helps, and uh, family reviews are welcome. Uh, and if you've already reviewed us maybe a while ago, iTunes lets you review and, uh, and and rate every so often. So you can actually hit us with another five star. It helps to helps us to gain new listeners, keep us up nice and high in the charts, and keep us uh, as the number one Florida State podcast uh, by far, as we've been and will continue to be. So thanks, guys, and uh, back to the show. Anything else you want to uh, say about Thrones? No, I think that's probably good. Oh, the uh, the guy on Jeopardy, uh, he almost lost last night. Did he? That's, that guy's been pretty interesting to watch how uh, incredible incredible how much he's been able to bank off of playing Jeopardy. So good for him. His strategy is really amazing. It, it's uh, if I was actually using a, a Kelly calculator, right, which is something that people use to, to you know using Kelly criterion to calculate bet sizing and, and investment sizing. 
And um, I thought that was pretty interesting because if you if you know your expected uh, rate of accuracy and and you know the the number of possible events, you can sort of uh, size your bets based on risk tolerance to maximize your return over the set. And so I, I was playing around with it, and it does seem like it's kind of close to like quarter Kelly. Uh, if you guys know what I'm talking about, you can try it at home. And if you don't, then well, this is in like the 75th minute of this podcast, so. I, I know we both got stuff to to do today. That's not uh, bantering about Jeopardy strategy, but it just kind of came across. Uh, my only feed. wish, only wish it was. Only wish it was. All right, bud. Hopefully, this has been an enjoyable listen for uh, everybody that chose to partake in uh, yet another Nolcast. Thank you, as always, for your support. Uh, whether it be a listen, whether it be a social interaction with any of our sponsors on social media or anything else, uh, we appreciate it. We look forward to joining you again in the next week. And uh, till then. Thank you very much.